And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. It is great to be back in the new year. This is my first live show uh, in 2023, and I'm grateful to be in our studio, one of our Thursday shows. And we always have a very special guest in studio on Thursdays. We have a great one-hour in-depth conversation, and we have a studio audience. I'm very grateful for people who come to the show and enjoy being here and are able to ask questions toward the end. And I also want to welcome you to America Can We Talk and tell you right now, if you're listening on radio, first of all, thank you for listening on radio. Uh, you'll get a break at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes past the hour, and we're going to keep right on talking for those three minutes, so do come back. And every show we do is live right on our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, plus on all the other social media platforms. Um, but you can always come back later, listen to interviews that you missed. Today, we are very excited to have joining us in studio, someone who's joined us actually, I don't meant to count how many times, numerous times on this show, uh, and he is just a favorite of conservatives in Texas and really of conservatives around the country, uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert. He represented Texas District 1, which I always thought was kind of symbolic, but uh, TX1 uh, in the great state of Texas, the United States Congress, uh, and his last day was about two days ago when the, the uh, term ended. So he's, um, I'm hoping because he's not in Congress anymore, we'll get some real inside scoop and thoughts about what's occurring in Washington. But please help me welcome to the show, Congressman Louis Gohmert. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. By way of quickest introduction, I do want to share some uh, just very quick things about him, uh, why he is so appreciated in Congress. Uh, he is among, and among conservatives, he is among the most forthcoming, straightforward, straight shooter kind of people. He believes in the conservative values that created America, and he is willing to stand up for them. Uh, in more recent times in Congress, he was one of the few willing to stand up and speak up about what's occurring with respect to the January 6th prisoners, the, uh, those who are being persecuted, in my view, uh, and how they're being treated in Washington, and willing to uh, bring that to public attention. Uh, he's been outspoken on many, many important issues. Um, he's considered one of the best friends of Israel in Congress, a strong support of Israel, which if you listen to my show very often, you know my husband and I have a, a very deep connection with Israel, love for Israel, and for grateful for that. Um, by qu very, quick, very, very quick background, uh, he, he, texted, uh, he enrolled in Texas A&M. Um, he had a U.S. Army scholarship. He commanded a cadet brigade in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M, and he was class president. And it's kind of interesting, the class president thing, because he was recognized early on in his life as a leader by his peers. Uh, he got his, juris, his JD degree, law degree from Baylor Law School, where he was also class president um, there, chosen by his peers. Uh, he served as United States Army Judge Advocate of the JAG Corps, Judge Advocate General Corps at Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, he is also, he was elected as a state district judge in the great state of Texas, here we elect our judges. So he was elected as a state district judge in Texas, seventh judicial district, serving Smith County, which is, uh, includes Tyler, where he is from, uh, from 1992 to 2002. He was, so he's elected for three terms. Uh, he was appointed uh, by then Texas Governor Rick Perry to fill a vacancy as Chief Justice on Texas 12th Court of Appeals. So he has experience as a lawyer, as a judge, in the military, and in Congress. And uh, today, what I hope to get with, I mean, he's always full of more information, more time, uh, more topics than time. I want to focus today, I'm telling him right now, I want to focus on the speaker's race, what is occurring with that, and what Congress can do, given what we're all learning from the Twitter files, and, and who should be investigated as a response uh, to what we're learning about uh, from the Twitter files and the involvement of the FBI and kind of 
in my view, perhaps suppressing free speech. But let's start with the speaker's race. So we sit here today, I believe I just read before we get started, that the uh, heir apparent, Kevin McCarthy, who wants to be Speaker of the House, has now lost his eighth vote. Eight times, could not get to that majority. The Democrats are hanging in there, all voting together with for Hakeem Jeffries, 212 of them. So we have Kevin McCarthy still wanting that, not stepping down, uh, not saying, okay, let's try someone else. He's got a high number, though. He's, he's, he's close, but not enough. And he's making concessions. So I want to just run through some of the concessions he's offering. But first, let me just tell you, overall, do you think this process on national television of the failure of McCarthy to get votes, uh, to get put in that slot as speaker, does it hurt the Republicans or not? I don't think it hurts the Republican Party at all. And in fact, uh, you know, and I've heard from so many people say, look, we just want them to work together. Well, that, <laughs> that follows uh, weeks of hearing the same establishment line that Boehner used repeatedly. Look, if they, if they don't support me, it's going to throw it over to Pelosi or it's going to throw it to Hakeem Jeffries. That was heard back every time Boehner ran for speaker and it's being heard all over again. Uh, and it was it's just a lie, it's not true. Because you have to have a majority. And there's the, those 20, 21 now that are holding out, they love America so much. And I know people think, and I've heard them say on radio and television, they're being selfish. They're thinking about nobody but themselves and nothing could be further from the truth. Having been there, done that, you know you're gonna have people that hate you for taking a stand and exposing what they are afraid people would see as weakness and a go along, get along, Sam Rayburn approach. Uh, but like I knew, I knew that I would, by announcing for speaker, not only would I not get elected speaker, but I would never get elected, not even to Pooper Scooper. They would not elect me to anything. <laughs> you mean within anything. Congress? You mean within Congress? Within Congress. Within Congress, <clears throat> I would not. Um, so I knew that, but it was about trying to get somebody we could trust. And I can tell you on a breakdown, and, and even after the election in November, I continued to meet with, uh, a lot of these guys because as they would say nobody's been through this more than you have and so I can tell you this is not about selfishness they understand they've already been threatened repeatedly that they'll be kicked off their committees the way Kevin supported kicking uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene off her committees yep uh, and Yet, yeah, I know she's supporting him. I, I want to ask that though. I mean, let me jump in about that because I did want to establish at one point many people voting for Kevin McCarthy in this open vote. These are people who recognize that they may very legitimately be deprived of a committee assignment right. they want, a committee leadership role, if they don't vote for the speaker, assuming he eventually wins. So there's a coercion element, and, or, or correct? Right. Yeah. There, there's always the carrot and the stick. And first comes the carrot, um, and that is, look, I know you've been wanting this committee, that committee, you know, I know. I can get you that. I can get you that committee. 
I can get you that subcommittee chairmanship. I can get you that chairmanship. Uh, you just got to stay with me and be a team player. Uh, but as I told Roger Ailes when he told me, I just wish you guys would all run the same play, I said, I do too. But when my quarterback calls a play to run to the wrong end zone, I'm not blocking for him, and I'm going to try to tackle him okay. before he gets there. That is a great line. That yeah. is a great story. Well, yep. that's what came to mind when Roger Ailes said, I wish you would all run the same play. Because Boehner kept running plays to go to the wrong end zone. And, and so I've also, something else I've heard a lot of, Debbie, about this is, look, McCarthy gave us the commitment to America. You can read it. All of this stuff is nailed down. It's going to happen. We heard the same thing from Boehner repeatedly. Yeah. Let's see, his was the pledge to America. And I can't tell you how many times I stood up in our Republican conference and said, let me read what you promised. You pledged America. And everybody in this room pledged America. Here's what you pledged. Yeah, we're going to get to that eventually. Well, things have changed. So many times those commitments were not kept under Boehner. And Boehner, let me tell you, Kevin is one of the most likable guys. But there are people, there's a handful of the folks out of the 20, 21, who he's lied to. They say he flat out lied to me. I can't trust him, and I'm not going to vote for a guy that has lied to me, and I don't, I can't trust. Uh, but others, like that with promises made by Boehner, uh, they've seen this, you know. This, but a lot of these guys are new. God bless them, and they tell most of them have told me either individually or in Trump's presence that um, I was their inspiration that they want to be like me. God help them if they end up that way. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they know it's not enough of a concession to do like Boehner. Okay, well, we'll change this rule. Or like Kevin has agreed to change some of the rules of the House. I'm going to get to that. Yeah, I want to yeah, get to those rules. Because you got to understand, Every bill that comes to the floor goes through the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee always has a majority of the majority party. Yep. So the vote always goes their way. The Speaker always handpicks the people on the Rules Committee that he knows or she knows will do exactly what they tell them. And for example, I had a very dear friend that was chairman of the Rules Committee and there was a bill that could have been made decent with one amendment, and without it, it was terrible. And I brought it before the Rules Committee, and most all of the Republicans said, yeah, that's really a good idea. That will make it so much better. That will help America. And the chairman came back and told me later privately, uh, I had been fighting with Boehner, and... You know, I have fought for you because I think it's a great amendment. We we all do. But Boehner says we got to vote against it. So I'm sorry, we're all going to have to vote against it. And so that's the problem with the Rules Committee. When, when Boehner says we're going to put in a rule that requires, like all the Republicans want, 
72 hours minimum, 72 hours minimum, you get three full days to read any bill. Well, I can tell you, that's not enough. Not when you bring 4,500 pages like the 1.7 trillion uh, that got passed uh, before, back before Christmas. And so when it goes before the Rules Committee, if it's big and they don't want people to see it, well, you got one thing in the rules that's been there from the very beginning of Congress, and that is every bill must be read by the clerk. Unless the Rules Committee says we'll waive the reading of the bill in the Rules Committee, in the rules that bring that bill to the floor, yep. and then as far as the 72 hours, there's no telling how many times the Rules Committee has voted, so the rule that brings it to to the floor waves the 72-hour commitment. And even Boehner, he started interpreting that commitment as, okay, if we file the bill at five minutes till midnight tonight, then Saturday morning at 12.05 a.m. we can have a vote on it. And I stood up in conference once and I said, when we passed the three-day rule, the 70, we did not intend that to be like Jesus being crucified on Friday night and arising on Sunday morning, because those were three separate days. We anticipated 72 full hours, and that's not what you are. You just don't nitpick. Yeah. Well, that's what we deal with. So if you don't have votes on the Rules Committee that will stand up for what's right, it, it, that when they know it's a good amendment that will help the country, maybe save the country, they'll vote to let the amendment through. But right now it's a rubber stamp by a speaker. This is what I want to get for our listeners uh, around the country and, and here in the room and every place. This battle over speakership, and you're exactly right, Congressman Gohmert, that people have made reference to this as being kind of too melodramatic, it's kind of embarrassing to the party, and it's getting down to pettiness and personality. But I want to hit on first the role of speaker is so consequential to essentially, it, it is, and, and they're enabled to set up roadblocks to even allow a vote to occur within the Rules Committee, and then from there to allow a vote to occur to get to a committee, right. to get to the floor. So if you're the speaker and you are motivated to stop a piece of legislation or to push it, you really hold all the cards, all correct? So this all is why it matters so much who's speaker. That's and then right. secondly, as to mattering who's speaker, it is not just that they can promise you, well, I'll let X person have this committee chairmanship. You want to know ideologically where they're heading. Right. Are they with the conservative cause? Are they with the Constitution? Are they with the effort to push back against the growing Marxism coming out of the Biden administration? Or are they a deal maker? I mean, it's a, it's a, a deal yeah. maker, a schmoozer. I, I mean, and to me, part of what I want the American people, I, I'm encouraging, I love this battle in Washington. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's fresh air for people. But the, it's so consequential because what it really reflects is the conservatives, the core who won't go with McCarthy, they just don't trust him that he's really on our team. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. And I've heard on one of our conservative <clears throat> TV networks that, um, you know, last time this multiple ballots happened, he accurately said, was 1923, January. So we're at 100 years, about time. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, that person pointed out 
that, but after nine ballots, uh, the speaker still won. Well, what he didn't convey was that there were principal people that said, we understand that the speaker is all powerful and he can destroy our existence in Congress. But we're not going to vote for him until he agrees to spread out the power back to committees and back to individuals like it was originally intended. Because the speaker, like now, determined, like Pelosi and like uh, Paul Ryan and like uh, uh, Boehner before him, they determined what bills came to the floor. They determined what bills came out, got voted on in committee. If they said, we don't want that bill coming out of your committee, you didn't get a vote in committee on a bill, even though that's your jurisdiction. The, the speaker had all that power. So back in 1923, they said, you're going to give control back to our committees as to what bills come out and go to the floor. You're going to give power back to the individual members of Congress so that we have a say and you don't get to determine everything, including, you know, which committees and who's chairman of the committees. Let the, the committees elect their own chairs. Well, if you're chair of a committee and Kevin's made the deal with you, yeah, I'll make, sh I'll make sure you're chair. Of course, Boehner, he learned from Boehner. He's a hand-picked Boehner guy. Uh, right. Boehner would tell somebody, okay, I'll do everything I can to get you that committee or get you that chairman. I'll do what I can. But it goes through the steering committee. And everybody virtually on your party's steering committee has some committee, some position in mind, and they know if the speaker doesn't support them, they won't get it. So the steering committee, you know, <laughs> I've heard from people that were there, uh, would say, look, I've told this guy I would do what I could, but I don't think it's a good idea. But I, so, so they would vote not to let the person have the committee. Man, I did everything I could, you know. Yep. I did all I could. It just didn't work out. You know, part of what I want to try to talk about today, I do want to get to the Twitter files, things, and what Congress should do about some of the things that I've uncovered. But on the speaker's race, there was a tweet put out by Congressman Perry, um, where mm -hmm. he was talking about how the Freedom Caucus went to Kevin McCarthy and said, if you'll agree to these items going to a floor vote, and, and uh, then we will back you as speaker. And, and the floor of the items they want a straight out floor vote, meaning avoiding a committee just right to the floor of Congress, was a balanced budget with the Texas border plan. There were, there's another third item I'm not thinking about at the moment, but there was, it were things that they just said, can't we just have the Congress vote on this? And, and he refused. This is reported by Scott Perry. And to me, that reflects what McCarthy is saying is, I am not going to humor what the grassroots, what the conservatives want. I won't even let the country see how Congress would vote. I mean, do, do you yeah. find that as bothersome as I do? Do you know that of story? Course. First? Of yeah. course, of course. And uh, again, even when we had Boehner in a corner and we demanded we're not going to vote for another bill. The spending is out of control, and we weren't even near a trillion dollars at the time. Spending's out of control. You've got to agree to bring a cut, cap, and balance yep. bill to the floor. You may remember that term, cut, cap, and balance. And Boehner said, it, a waste of time. We will never pass that bill in the House. 
And, and we said, yes, we have the votes to pass it. We can get 218, we can pass it. Yep. And we're not voting to bring anything else. You, you vote on the rule first thing, and everybody tells you if you ever vote against your own party's rule, then there'll be significant punitive consequences. Yeah, you kindergarten can't, committee. Yeah, yeah, people got thrown. Out. Dan Webster got put on the rules committee. I think Lynn Westmoreland for one day. They voted against uh, what the chairman of rules wanted, so they got kicked off rules that day, yeah. first day. I know the other item because I thought it was consequential. The rules, oh, it was I'm, the fair tax. Yeah. Just, just get the point. That is a big question to conservatives of how do we fix the tax structure? How do we make it fair? Just a straight yeah. up floor vote. The fair right. tax, the Texas border plan, which mm -hmm. you know is, well, can't go off on that today. Um, and this was, I just thought it was consequential because what McCarthy's saying is, I will not allow the people represented representing the people, the people the American people chose, sitting in this Congress, I won't even let them have a vote. Yeah. He, he's really saying, I'm the king, and I do not want the American people to know. Right, and, and one of the things, look, all of those 21 understand that uh, the motion to vacate the chair is more symbolic than anything, but it's been, you know, for at least 100 years or more, maybe 200, but uh, that any member could go file a privileged motion to vacate the chair. Mm -hmm. And there have been some people um, when, um, well, and, and likewise for impeachment, it's a privileged motion you can file. Uh, you don't have to get a bunch of people to support you until Pelosi became speaker and she said, I don't want one person to be able to file this even though it gets tabled every time unless a majority wants to hear it. It gets referred to committee and you never hear from it again. Right. So it's really no consequence whether it's five people, 25, or one, but the fact that Kevin wanted what Paul Ryan demanded and never got. Paul Ryan said, you gotta eliminate the motion vacate the chair. I don't right. want, and, he really and he, so he said, I agreed, you can do it with as few as five. It's just the fact that you want to protect yourself more than any other speaker besides Pelosi. You want to be like Pelosi. Yes. So these, con I was going to ask you, these concessions that McCarthy is making, uh, they're negotiating overnight concessions to the people who won't back him right now for um, speaker. You know, this vacate the chair, just for everyone, vacate the chair just means you're making a motion to essentially try to remove the speaker. Right. Okay. And Unless you have a majority, it doesn't mean anything. So yeah, you can make a motion and the people who understand that they're never gonna get to be water carrier if they mm -hmm. vote for that are just not going to vote for it. So it's almost inconsequential right. anyway. Right. Okay, it so is. it's, an, um, it's but almost it's a, a meaningless. matter of principle there, but that's not what they're hanging their hats on. Well, the point I was gonna make about cut cap and balance, and I'm sorry uh, okay. that I didn't uh, get to this quickly, but we forced Boehner to bring it to the floor under threat, we're not going to pass any other rule. We're going to vote down our own rule, so you won't be able to bring any other bills to the floor. So he brought it to the floor, cut cap and balance. Maybe one of the most consequential bills in the last 50 years. And it passed. And that very afternoon, Boehner went to the Senate and started negotiating. Forget that. Yeah. We're, 
I just had to do that, but now let's work on something that, that we will all agree on. He threw it to the wind instead of going and saying, this is important to our House members, and you're going to have to rein in your spending in the Senate so, or we'll never come to an agreement. He already threw it to, to the so, side. So that speaker's position is critical, it, absolutely critical. Yeah, and he and they have the capacity to undermine even the deals they make. That's what I want to get to. It's all right. these concessions that Kevin McCarthy's making, and many people supporting him are saying, "Well, come, come on! What more does he have to do?" I saw a, a member of Congress posted this today. You know, every time he makes yeah. a concession, then the people negotiating want another one. Yeah. And and I want to get to one other little quick thing about that before we um, get to who could be speaker, <laughs> but. The, what is the enforceability of these deals McCarthy's making? So he says, okay, I'll change this rule. He's agreed to more Freedom Caucus members on the House Rules Committee. He's going to hold votes on, on lawmaker term limits, border security. He's going to make changes to the appropriation process. What enforceability do all these concessions, how can they be enforced against him if he doesn't honor them? Well, that's just it. There is no enforcement. Right. There's no, There's no method of enforcement. And so it's other than a motion to vacate the chair, uh, and, but otherwise there's no enforcement. Yeah, well that's exactly what I want to get to was so all these demands which are reasonable and it's great that he's, it, they're getting public airing. And I think for some people they say, my gosh, you know, we had to, you had to negotiate that to get them to agree to that. But you can't, it's not like a law passed and, and you'd be prosecuted if you don't follow it. It's just a... It's a rule, and there's no way to enforce it against them, except right. the motion well, they vacate. Can I give another Absolutely. You go. Yes, I love these conversations. Okay. Well, uh, with regard to one year, we had all agreed, 100% of the Republicans in the House, that we needed a bill to protect our border. 100% agreement. And so Boehner picked a number of people to be on a committee, uh, ad hoc committee, that would put together a list of all the principles that all of us agreed on. That was great. And they came out, I think it was 10 principles that needed to be in a border bill that we all agreed on. And the principles were great. And then we found out that he had just hired John McCain's assistant that wrote the the, <laughs> the border bills for John McCain, yeah. including all the amnesty stuff. So I got up at conference, and Scott Perry has told this story numerous times. He said, my, my big memory about Louie when I was just a freshman, he stands up at conference and said, I understand, Mr. Speaker, and I have a member mic. He's got the front mic. You just hired John McCain's assistant that did the amnesty, wrote the amnesty bills for McCain, and you just brought her on. And I want to know is that, did you hire her to put together an amnesty bill and somehow incorporate our principles? And he, as Scott said, he was yelling. Nobody had ever heard him yell that loudly, and he was cussing and blustering and, how dare you talk like that? I'm sick and tired, on and on, and <laughs> lots of nasty words. And I'm standing there at the mic. I, I've been cussed, I mean, through the core, through the army. 
I've had a federal judge just really screaming at me. Yeah. So I've been through this with somebody a lot, a lot more powerful than him, and he's screaming and cussing, and when he finally finishes, he sits down, and I said, so why did you hire her? And, <laughs> and anyway, it became clear. He did the three-day thing and let us get the bill, you know, like midnight, and we were going to, on Tuesday, it seemed like it was, and we were going to vote on Thursday. He had already had 218 in our conference agree to vote for the bill they hadn't seen. So I'm up, and it was, fortunately, it was like 60 pages, but the problem with the bill is it changes these words in this right. section and substitute. And unless you go back and look at those other reference <clears throat> sections, you don't know what it does. So one of our principles was that any state, because as I recall, this was the first section in the bill, any state that spends state money, like Texas, uh, on trying to secure the border has to be reimbursed by the federal government under such and such law. And everybody reads that and goes, yeah, that's what we expect if the states do it. And, but when you go look at that law, it, it is only applicable if the Secretary of Defense and Homeland Security in advance agreed to what the state did and directed them to do it. That meant Texas, nor Arizona, New Mexico, California. Nobody was going to be reimbursed anything. And there was a, a thing we all agreed on, that anybody who did not show up for their hearing, uh, their immigration hearing, would automatically be deported. Yep. So as I recall, that provision in our bill was right at the bottom, and it said, you know, anyone who fails to appear for their hearing um, will automatically, immediately on being apprehended, be deported if, and I'm going, if, because those two little letters mean a lot. So you flip over and it said, if the government can prove by evidence that the failure to appear was entirely the fault of the immigrant. Well, when somebody didn't show up for their felony trial, I issued a warrant for their arrest. Right. The government didn't have to come in and show, oh, it, it, they had a problem, they had a con. No, I issued the warrant. You arrest them and bring them in. But it was that kind of thing all through the bill, and it comes back to your point. The speaker matters. We all agreed in principle on every principle, but the speaker got to dictate who, who prepared it and it was an amnesty bill through and through. Or to use your analogy earlier, they got the football and they ran the other way. They didn't yeah, run with your absolutely. team. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so honestly, I'm thrilled because I do know some of the members of Congress who are saying no, and I've been texting them saying, yes, yes, go hang in there. So the other choices that have been floated as speaker, if Kevin McCarthy can't get, and if he doesn't lure some Democrats over, which would be even worse, like we that have in Texas. That would, but that, that be, would doom his speakership. Uh, I hope so. No. So the people being floated, Byron Donalds, he's a uh, first or second term member from Florida, 19th this will Congressional be his District. second term. Okay. So um, I actually, oddly, at a, my husband and I were at a meeting. We met him. He is really engaging and really nice yeah. guy. So is, he, is that well, viable? Well, so is Kevin. He's engaging. 
Okay, Very yes, good. he is, but you know, but he's not playing for our team. I'm, I'm sorry, just yeah. or how I see our team. So, what's the story in Byron Daniels? Is he Donalds even possibly a serious contention for speaker? Or well, I think he would be a terrific speaker, and the people that are voting for him believe he. If somebody said, "Oh, he was just a prop," tweeted that out. Oh, Cora no, Bush. He is a very legitimate candidate. Yeah. He would be awesome, and in fact, he is one of those who's been able, like we have a guy on in the Freedom Caucus who's in, uh, he's an appropriator, uh, you know, and you have to walk a very delicate line, and he's been voting against Kevin, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but Byron has been able to get a lot of support from people. But unfortunately, uh, the office he ran for, vice president, um, I, I forget, he, re he ran for one of the um, In the state of Florida, you mean? No, 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 in Congress. Okay. This, this time, okay. back in November, and Kevin didn't support him, and uh, so he didn't get elected. So when I hear somebody like the person that nominated Kevin this afternoon, one of them, saying, you know, he, he pointed out to me that he deeply regrets that the Democrats as a group better reflect America than the Republican Party does. Well, he could have helped by supporting Byron for yes. one of those positions, but he didn't. Yeah. And but Byron has a lot of friends, and he could have he could have won that if Kevin had not been against him. Well, I'll tell you something else. All these people who keep saying, "Well, Kevin's so close. Why should he have to drop out?" The answer is, if he can't win, he should drop out. And once he does, all those people supporting him are going to have to get behind someone else. All these Republicans, which I mean, but he's kind of. Putting, uh, he's blocking the capacity of someone else to build a groundswell of support because they're all worried Kevin will win eventually and they, the people who didn't back him, will lose lose position. Right. So Byron Donaldson... There, there are a number of the Freedom Caucus that have voted for Kevin because they, <laughs> they don't understand that uh, we have seen this before and we just need a fresh face. We need new leadership across the board. And so, but, you know, Mitch McConnell, he's been able to whip the people in line that were going to say we needed a new leader there. Yeah. And uh, Ronna McDaniel uh, uh, is a, well, Ronna, uh, is it McDaniel? Ronna yeah. McDaniel, Ronna, yep, yeah. the RNC chair. Right. Uh, you know, she's got a challenger. And she said, look, you know, we've got this figured out. Let's stay the course. But I think America would like to see a change in leadership. Yeah, this, I was going to say that. The, the, what Donald Trump managed to do in four years to stir up a, a populist base and a sense among people that we really have a role in our governance and we really insist upon consent of the governed, rule of law. They don't like the direction of the country. They don't like anything the Biden team has done in the last two years, and they're dying to see leadership, leadership among those mm -hmm. people in Washington. And there are so few of, there may people get elected to positions or get into mm -hmm. positions called leader, 
but they aren't leading. They're, they're yearning for someone like Donald Trump. I don't think that you're going to get the Congress to choose Donald Trump as Speaker of the House, although no. I think Matt Gates voted for him this time. Yeah, he did. So Byron Donalds is one, and I, I like him because he's a young black conservative, which putting those two words together, black conservative, it's really hard to appreciate for many people how rough that is to be an outspoken black conservative. So if, if, if we got... Kevin out of there, I don't know who else. Uh, you know, what about Louis Gohmert running for Speaker of the House? <laughs> uh, well, next on my list. Well, thank you, and <laughs> I, I appreciate that a lot. And I, well, you went through some of my biography. Uh, you could go back uh, before junior junior high. I had a hearing problem, and believe it or not, I was very very quiet, very quiet. But junior high came out of my shell, and I was elected student body president even back then. And it just seemed like, you know, when I came to Congress the first day, I'm thinking, you know, it's not something I aspire to, but it just seems like most organizations I've been part of, I ended up, you know, heading them up at some point. But very early on, I saw there's, there's two roads here, and one of them, go along, just grit your teeth and smile and keep going when it's not what you know it should be and get along and you can get to one of those leadership positions down the road. But then there's nobody that's going to stand up and say, this is wrong. Right. This is wrong. Why did you hire that person that does amnesty? Who is going to be that person? Well, now we've got a lot of them. But when I first started, it was like, Nobody was going to stand up and call it like one. it was. You and I knew the first time I did it that I got up and confronted that it would mean I chose the unpleasant road. And that's what bothers me. when Sorry. You can disagree with these folks, but when somebody accuses the 21 of being selfish, they just don't understand. Dan it is Crenshaw a very... called them traitors. Dan Crenshaw called them traitors. Yeah, and Dan has been in combat. I never had my four years in the Army. We were never in combat. But, but let me tell you, he is courageous, apparently, in the battlefield. But he doesn't understand what courage is in Congress. Right. And, you know, the expression I use in my show very often, all the people who think just get in line, do what the party says, they don't understand what time it is in America, what, what is occurring, what is yeah. happening to our country. We are losing our country over the cliff to Marxism right now. And yeah. we're at, at the hands right. of the Biden administration. And if you don't have a really strong leader, it's just easier, as you're alluding to, just to go along. Just, just go, go along because that's what you're supposed to do. And, and those people that go along, uh, if we don't get this turned around and get back to a moral America yes. where we're teaching children there is a right and wrong, there is a moral yes and no, uh, unless we get back to that, this, this will finish on out into the dustbin of history. And those people that went along, they won't be remembered, but someday a history will be written about these 21, if especially... Right that they tried to stop the direction the country was going and they were overruled and it was too late. It kind of reminds me, and I hope it doesn't, I hope we get, uh, successfully get people in charge who are really con conservative in principle. But historically, there was a Caesar over the Roman Empire that came to realize, you know what? 
bread and circuses have ruined the work habits of Romans. They don't work anymore. They want their, their food and their circuses, their entertainment given to them. And so he cut them out for a while. But there were so many riots, he had to come to realize it's too late. Okay. And we go to the end of the empire. We've had this conversation, you and I have had on this show more than once about, you know, never giving up on America. Yes, America's in, in deep peril for a variety of reasons we talk right. about many times. But I, never, I will never give up on it. And I know you feel the same way. You fight till the end. Right. Okay, I want to do a quick thing. I don't want to run out of time. Uh, with respect to the, uh, what Congress should do going forward, so America has learned because Elon Musk got a hold of Twitter yep. and has been releasing the Twitter files. And among many things we've learned is that the FBI has been heavily involved with Twitter directly, directing traffic, what stories to shut down, what people to shut down, and in particular having to do with the Hunter Biden laptop, along other stories. And so there's talk. I mean, the reason Jim Jordan doesn't want to be speaker, because he might be a viable choice, but he wants to chair the Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee. And he's talking about holding hearings, looking into the FBI, looking into the DOJ, asking a lot of questions with respect to uh, what came out in the Twitter files with respect to their conduct toward the January 6th prisoners, with respect to uh, all of January 6th, many, many things he's going after. There's talk about the need to create a church committee. And very quickly, for our happy listeners, uh, the church committee was a U.S. Senate Select Committee um, back in 1975, and they basically did a very thorough deep dive looking into uh, many of the federal uh, security agencies, uh, the CIA, uh, the NSA, the FBI, the IRS. Uh, this was chaired, in fact, amazingly by a Democrat senator from Idaho, Senator Frank Church, looking into a series of abuses. And they really, had, it was a, a riveting report that eventually emerged about the level of corruption in those agencies. So based on what you've been able to observe about what the FBI has done in the last, I don't know how many years to say, are we at the point we need a church committee to look into them, that style committee to really look closely at the FBI and the DOJ and the NSA and the CIA or not? Yes, we absolutely desperately need a you know, temporary committee totally focused on that uh, with Republicans in charge. And let me say one thing about Jim, we've been friends you know, ever since he got there 16 years ago. Um, he knows if he were speaker, he could do more good toward oversight. He has to know that because he was there when, and we talked about it, Boehner did not want a Benghazi committee. He did not, and I suspected it was because it, it dawned on me after fighting with him over it for a number of months that he's part of the Super 8, you know, the four leaders from each uh, You say what, say what it is, though, for our listeners. Yeah, the yeah. Four leaders. so the Super 8, it's the two, Republican, Democrat, top in the Intelligence Committee, uh, and uh, the Speaker and, well, the Republican and Democrat heading up the House, same in the Senate, so they're considered the Super 8, and they have to agree on undercover operations and things. And it dawned on me, you know what? He probably had to approve the operation that they were engaged in in Libya of gathering Wait, up weapons. Who must have Boehner. Been? Okay. That when we get to the bottom of it, Boehner probably agreed 
to support an effort to pick up as many weapons as we could that we provided to those opposing Gaddafi, which was a huge mistake, and to get those shipped to Syria. And I asked him about that in conference. I said, I've been trying to figure out why you were so opposed to a committee to investigate Benghazi, and it dawned on me, you may be, and I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, you may be recalling that Pelosi is one of the Super 8, agreed to waterboarding, and then she condemned it, and then it came out she had approved it previously, and it really did hurt her party. So I'm wondering if you, as part of the Super 8, knew about or approved the operation in Libya, and you're concerned when that came out it would um, hurt our party, and that's why you're trying to protect our party. And he said, we can, we can investigate Benghazi without getting any of this other stuff. And I said, well, you didn't answer my question, but I promise you, if you answer my question and, and that's your concern, then I will never push again on television, radio, and conference ever again for Benghazi committee. And he said, well, and I've told you, we don't have to get into that to investigate Benghazi. And I said, but we need a committee. And then the chair said, the time has expired. And he said, well, I think I've answered your question. And he actually had, obviously. Yeah. That was what happened. By implication. So yeah. he finally, when the pressure from Republicans across the country got so much, he appointed a Benghazi committee to investigate. But I suspected all along, and it was that he said, okay, I'm gonna appoint this committee, but you can't come to any big conclusions, just have a big show, and they didn't come. And in fact, I got a call from Tom Fitton, who's head of uh, uh, Judicial yes. Watch, good friend, and Tom, I happened to be in a, a hearing at the time, and he said, Tom, you know the chair of the Benghazi committee? Yes, I'm in a hearing with him. So you tell him if he said, we've got between 10 and 20,000 documents by going to court about Benghazi that are incredibly important that the committee doesn't have. I've been trying for nine months to get them to accept a copy of these records because they are critically important to what, and so if they won't accept them by 10 o'clock tomorrow, I'm having a press conference and I'm gonna out just how bad this committee is. And so I told the chair, and he made a call. They accepted the document, so there was no press conference. But, but the, the people in charge had Boehner's marching orders, which goes back again. That's why it's so important to have a speaker that will not only talk the talk, but is going to actually not just nullify what he's agreed to do. So who is the best choice for a speaker? There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them that would be excellent speakers. And as soon as I say anybody, then mm. that's gonna make sure <laughs> that people that well, still hate me for standing up. Because you're principled and tell the truth, that's why. Yeah, okay, but, but I if I, so if I gave a name, that'd be the end of that person. It's, it's, it's kind of like when Donald Trump said that ivermectin hydroxychloroquine worked and all of a sudden you couldn't talk about it anymore. Okay. And about President Trump, you know, he's supporting Kevin. I know. But okay. some of us remember stuff. 
And I remember Kevin coming to the floor and saying, look, I, I just had been talking to President Trump, and he is starting to take responsibility, you know, that January 6th was his fault, basically those words. And we're going, that's not what I got from him. Was it? And anyway, oh, but, just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, so, and, and then he was privately taped, uh, which should have been the end of uh, Trump support, but, but President Trump is practical. Uh, but I think he would be much better off, the country would be, if we went ahead and got a fresh face. I love the fresh face argument, and I, I have thought about Donald Trump. Also, Mark Levin has been pushing for uh, the House just to go ahead and choose um, Kevin McCarthy and, and move along. And I think for some of them, the calculation is there's not going to be an alternative that is going to be palatable, and we have to get moving. And they recognize Kevin just, he wants his power, and he will not back down. So it's a pragmatic suggestion. But to me, given the precarious nature of our country, I'm so proud of the people continuing to push. I don't know what finally happens. If, if the 21 won't concede, they're going to get some Democrats in behind McCarthy. I don't know what will happen. Um, I thought, actually, when we planned this, I thought, well, by today we'll know who the speaker is. But we don't. But mm -hmm. I'm, I, I'm proud of those speaking up. You know, we, have, we do offer our audience a chance to ask questions. And someone, I believe, has a microphone. Uh, it is over there. So you, while you're thinking of your question, um, I want to um, do one other quick thing about this, um, about the uh, Twitter files. So. In the um, investigation mm -hmm. of, I assume, the FBI and their back-channel contorting speech, free speech, um, and, you know, appears NSA, CIA, a lot of these agencies, at DHS, Department of Homeland Security, very involved in this communication with Twitter and other social media companies. Is there a crime there? Yes. Yeah, there's been crimes committed, and uh, I think... There may be legitimate uh, personal suits against people who, under color of not state law but federal law, have uh, violated people's rights knowingly, intentionally, and caused real damage. But I would throw in Department of Defense in there, too, because uh, I don't know if you know the name Adam Lovinger. He was a civilian contractor, brilliant guy, is, is still. I had lunch with him in December, um, and his job was making sure the, the military got what they paid for. And he found that usually $100,000 increments, the DOD was paying a professor in London, and he could find nothing that they got in return from that professor. Well, his name was Stephen Halper, and he was the guy that was setting up, trying to set up Carter Page so they could get a warrant to go after the Trump campaign. And because Adam Lovinger found this guy being paid over a million bucks and getting nothing from it, from that, he was fired and uh, he is still in a lawsuit to get his job back. F fired by, for who was he working? DOD. He was for DOD. He worked at the Pentagon. Oh my gosh, so he, he was a whistleblower. He was a whistle. he didn't know he was. Yeah. He said, wait. We're paying this guy over a million dollars. We got nothing. Okay. Well, the higher-ups knew they were helping to frame Trump. Okay. I'll just posit this, and then we'll go to questions. So I had several people who were supposed to be here today who, for a variety of reasons, couldn't do it. And, I mean, three different people said to tell you, 
I'm conveying the message to you. Uh, they, they need you to be somewhere in this country, fighting for this country, right. someplace prominent. I, mean, I think Speaker of the House would be good, but if that can't work out. <laughs> they um, won't elect me. I, I mean, we, we'd love that to. That was a choice I made. Yeah, I know it's a choice yeah. you made, and uh, it was for very moral and noble reasons. But so, uh, do we know yet what you're doing next? Uh, well, my dear friend James Golden, or as Rush referred to most nerdly, most nerdly. You, you know James, yeah. and he's such a great guy. He's got a radio show now, but he called me last summer and said I needed to have a podcast come January, and then um, uh, he called, because I'd sent him possible few chapters of a book years ago. And he called and goes, well, you can't publish this while you're in Congress. And I said, well, I think people be, he said, you will not be able to function in Congress if you publish this, you can't. Yeah. And so anyway, he called in November and said, I had an epiphany late last night. You remember Primary Colors, how it was a fiction book, but everybody knew it was about Bill Clinton's yeah. running for president. You need to do a fiction book and have all those stories in there. I, and so okay. that's what uh, I'm looking at. And I uh, was contacted and told that a major publisher would like to talk about it in, in middle to late okay. January. The entire room is grinning. For you audience out there, everyone's like, yes, it would be so great. Uh, that would be fabulous. Okay, you will you hear know. stories, if I do that, that you haven't heard before. And wow, people and I've are going to go, oh, okay. I know you have. You and I have <laughs> talked a lot. But there's some that haven't been public. And anyway, it'll be a work of fiction. And yes. any characters are, are purely fiction. And, you know. Okay. You know what I'm going to do for our questions? I mean, I'll tell the audience, unfortunately, there's a show using the studio right when ours ends, so we can't go longer than because we often do. So if you have a question, would you just come up and stand right there? He's got the microphone, stand right there, talk right into the microphone because it's got to go out online, not just not just in this room. And then we'll try, try to keep it really short so we have time because we do have Correct. to cut off on real James, time. James and I, or talk, we talked again today, we're going to do a podcast together. <gasps> And okay. so anyway, we'll see where that goes. He's so entertaining. Yeah. And so are you. And he's so insightful. Oh, yeah. And of course, Rush loved him because he just went to the point. And if oh, you called in, he'd cut you off in a hurry if you weren't on point. So. <laughs> okay. Please go ahead. Uh, first, thank you so much for your service. Oh, thank you. And not only that, but that your acknowledgement of the J6ers. It's just yeah. so unconscionable and truly un-American. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, it really, truly is. I know this is off topic with your two, but the number one issue for me, sort of ground zero, is um, the security of our elections. I yes. do not think we have, yeah. So I just wonder if you yeah. could comment on that. Well, it's clear the fix there needs to be state by state. And, you know, there is a good argument that paper ballots con uh, sequentially numbered in Texas are a requirement, and I think they are. Uh, constitutionally, legislatively, um, we got to get back to that. We got to get back to that, and and we're going to have to do it state by state. We can't. Uh, we're going to have to do something very secure about absentee ballots. We can't be having drop off, drop boxes, and uh, even before all of the harvesting, um, there was a. Uh, I know in one of my counties. Uh, God told me 
because he didn't support the incumbent Democrat, that he always paid a lady, she had voted for about 1,200 to 1,500 people every election, that he wasn't gonna pay her to, to, uh, for ballots that voted against me. And so there would be a lot of ballots that, um, he said they're not gonna end up voting for you, they're just gonna skip that race. So there'll be 12 to 1,500 ballots that don't vote against you that normally would. That was years, 18 years ago. And so this stuff is going on. Lyndon Johnson knew about it. He was yeah. uh, quite corrupt elections back there. Uh, Duval County was at the center of a lot of that. But we got to do a better job. And I said back in 2002 as a judge that uh, once Congress had, had now required electronic voting, it's going to eventually evolve around who is the best hacker. Uh, and yes, I know there's a lawsuit by the uh, company that provided a lot of those machines uh, saying it's a lie that they provided a machine that could go on the internet. And he's, as I understand, he's right. Uh, their machines don't go on the internet, but once they get to the purchaser, they stick in the slot that's available, the modem for getting on the internet, and then they do. So that they can have one person service computers from different places. So anyway, it's something we need to get back to paper ballots that can be hand counted and let's don't do chads and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that is gonna be critical. It means nothing if we don't have secure elections. Okay, we have one more question and I gotta tell you, I got a text from a listener. I, I misquoted Dan Crenshaw. He did not say the people who wouldn't vote for um, Kevin McCarthy are traitors. He said they're terrorists. Mm -hmm. To correct me, I said they're terrorists, not traitors. Okay, okay. thanks. Please go ahead, really short. Just please. a quick question. I, this I is understand not the first that time I've been accused of being a terrorist. Okay, got it. McCarthy Bain is making these concessions, and that's what the media is saying. But Lauren Boebert was just on the radio today at noon, and she indicated that her group has not received anything from Kevin McCarthy regarding any of these concessions, and it's going to some other party and making it out to the media. Can you yeah. comment on that? Well, uh, I believe Lauren, and so uh, <clears throat> she's not aware of it, then obviously it's not being communicated to people that need to know. Uh, so that that is, thank you for providing that. I had not heard that. Wow. But going back again, the promises are only as good as the person there because as Debbie brilliantly pointed out, we don't have a good enforcement mechanism. You know, once that speaker is in office, the power is just astonishing. And the power to intimidate, the power to use a stick, throw people off of committees, uh, because that's how he got rid of Steve King. He took him off his agriculture committee and you need to be on agriculture in order to win back in Iowa. And so, yeah, they, and then one of the things I'm surprised more hasn't been made of was the report finding out that it wasn't all Democrats that got money from Sam FDX, it, it was uh, the cryptocurrency, that McCarthy's PAC got a bunch of money, millions. And, you know, when we look back at the NRCC and, and the head of the NRCC works directly with um, the Republican leader, 
that they were spending millions and millions on long shot races of moderate to liberal Republicans when we had some really close races where we could have had great conservatives, but they would not help them, would not provide money. And so we end up, you know, we got a guy from New York that apparently has lied all the way through, but we lost out on some very close races, just a little bit of the money they squandered on, on the long shot liberals uh, could have made all the difference. So it's really ironic, Debbie, uh, we have such a small margin, and people are saying that's such a shame, so tough for Kevin. Well, yeah, if he had spent some of that millions on close races to elect conservatives, he would have had a much bigger cushion, and it would have been easier for him to win. Most definitely. And on that note, Congressman Gohmert, as always, we needed three hours. But our one hour is up. I want to thank you so very much for well, coming in today. Thank, thank you. you for joining me today. Thank you so much, David. So, yeah. Always good being with you. Um, and thank you so very much, everyone online, for listening to America Can We Talk. America Can We Talk is live every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I only do this show to speak up for and defend America and its unique, extraordinary greatness. So I hope you'll tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time at to America Can We Talk, and you can watch the show live at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show because America matters, and I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?